Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 155 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking again at charging solutions for those who can't charge at home. And in particular, if you have a lot of vehicles that need guaranteed charging overnight, and no home charges to do this. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap, the free-to-download app that helps EV drivers search, plan, and pay for their charging. Before we start, I wanted to let you know that in an upcoming episode, I'll be talking about the charging situation in Northern Ireland. Traditionally, this has been something of a charging wasteland, but things are changing. Our main topic of discussion today is destination charging, or overnight charging, or any sort of charging which is not primarily related to finding a big powerful unit and sucking down hundreds of kilowatts of juice in a short period of time. Last season, we had Joel Teague on the show from CoCharger. In case you don't remember, CoCharger are a company that specialise in enabling people who have off-street parking and a charger to use that charger to help people who don't have off-street parking. You sign up as a host if you've got a charger and a chargee if you don't, and the app matches people up in the same area. That's a great little solution that's really gaining traction, but there are others out there with subtle differences. Um, to talk about one of them, I'm joined by Mike Strahlman from the EV arm of Just Park. For those of you who don't know who Just Park are, they're a company... Well, I'll let Mike explain what Just Park do. Just Park as a business is about 16 years old, and they were formed to be a marketplace for supply and demand matching for parking. So if you think about the Airbnb for parking. Um, over the years, Just Park has expanded into B2B parking management, a payment ecosystem for public parking, et cetera, et cetera. And in the past two years, Just Park has been thinking about, well, how can we as a company support the electrification transition and the transition to EVs? using those superpowers of supply and demand matching for parking and bringing that into the charging arena. And how we thought about doing that was essentially the first part of this was creating what we call proxy driveways for drivers who don't have driveways at home. And this is the community charging concept. Our product is called Just Charge, and that is provides essentially this opportunity for anyone who doesn't have a driveway to book it and guarantee a charge on someone else's driveway overnight. The, uh, the second product we have is the B2B version of this, which is called Fleet Charge. And this takes the same concept. If you think about the demographics, you know, 50% of the UK population don't have access to a driveway at home. Well, for fleet drivers, we see that that's 75%. And for those that depend on a vehicle for, to go about their everyday life and their work and their business, depending on the public charging ecosystem can sometimes be a challenge. So what we wanted to do was provide this proxy driveway experience as a guaranteed overnight charge for fleet drivers and that's Fleet Charge. Right. I want to come back to Fleet Charge in a little while because I have a couple of questions specifically about how that's going to work. But what, what is it that you specifically do at Just Charge? So my role is the director of EV. So I run the EV business for Just Park. It's sort of a, a startup or a scale up within the Just Park business. And so my role is to make sure that we do everything from operationalizing the product to setting the strategy and commercial agenda of the product and getting it out into the market to be used. 
we've talked with Joel uh, from CoCharger about what he's doing with, with his company. And at first glance, there seems to be something of an overlap in the way you're doing things and the way he's doing things. So what, what do you see as the key difference between the CoCharger offering and your offering? Yeah, and look, I really respect what Joel is doing in the market and community charging as a concept is really, really important as a use case for us in, in the market to, to really buy into and to use to make sure that we provide the right landscape of solutions for EV drivers out there. From a perspective of what's different, I would say that there are two core differences between what we're doing and what CoCharger is doing. The first is for our just charge proposition, so the B2C proposition, we don't, we don't only charge you for your electrons or your energy consumption, but we also charge you for the parking space. And the reason for doing that is, given our history and our background, the parking space is also a core asset that somebody in their home can utilize and sweat that in order to have a supplemental income. So rather than just charging for energy, we're also sharing the driveway. So that's the first difference. The second difference is for our B2B products, we source specific locations rather than just utilize the network. So if you're a fleet driver living in, you know, in an SW postcode in London, we find a driveway within a 15-minute walk of your house. We electrify that ourselves, and then we provide that on a guaranteed access basis to that driver. So rather than building in a network from existing spaces, we also supply and install our own locations. Right. Let's deal with those two separately then. Just charge business to consumers. So you've, if I understand what you've just said there, you sort of package this together. There's the charging aspect and there's the parking aspect, and it goes uh, together in one. So, for example, I live literally next door to a railway station. So would I be a typical host, for example, um, and I, my driveway could be used by somebody who wants to head up to London on the train. So they can park their car in my driveway. I would charge them for that. They could also plug in and charge their car as well. Is that the kind, is that how it works? Exactly right. And you give a really interesting example there because your space would be equally attractive to both an EV and a non-EV driver. A non-EV driver might want to use that space because they're a commuter rather than just to charge. And I think what's really interesting is that we find if you drew a Venn diagram of the types of typical parking spaces for, let's say, commuters and the typical parking spaces that would need for folks who need to charge but don't have their own driveway, there would be quite some difference between those. And what, what, what you're seeing here is that EV drivers may have in the future a different use case than just the destination or what we're calling base type drivers. And why I say that is the commuter landscape may be suitable for both EV and non-EV, but if you don't have a driveway at home and you need to charge, you may actually just need to park around the corner from your house. Um, and so that's different than what would be typically consumed by the parking ecosystem, if that makes sense. Interesting, because uh, you know, I, I drive up past the uh, car park for the railway station, and there is, in particular, there's one car that always uh, makes me smile. The guy spent you know, 80, 90, 100,000 pounds on the top of the range Porsche Taycan. And it literally spends 10 hours a day, five days a week, parked at the railway station while he goes up and works in London so he can afford enough money to pay for the £100,000 Porsche Taycan that sits at the, at the railway. So, you know, I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, well, you know, I wouldn't mind having that on my drive five days a week and then, you know, plug it in because, I mean, he can't live that far away from the railway station because, you know, I'm on a main line, there's, there's 
stops every five or six miles. So it's not like he's traveling at a great deal of distance. But, you know, to be able to park this close to the railway station and get a uh, fully charged car when he comes back, I could see it's definitely going to be a, an appeal to someone like that. Yeah, and I think I think the key message for me on on this one is that the the EV charging network just charge for us is an extension of our parking marketplace. And when I talk about our parking marketplace, again, this is the core business of Just Park. We have fifty thousand you know residential domestic kind of locations that are that people have listed on our platform, and around ten million community members or drivers who have engaged with the platform to park, if that's in the public sense, but also to then rent these. Airbnb parking spaces. And so the so the Just Charge network is an extension of this. So you want to be able to park your car where you need to, if that's commuting to the station, but you want to be able to also charge it and book and reserve that. And this network provides both opportunities. And is it fully integrated? So if I go in under Just Charge and say, if the guy with the Porsche Taycan says, I want to park at Gary's place, it will deal with handling the allocation of the parking and handling the allocation of the um the charging or he could just say i'm not bothered about the charging and using the same basic process you could say i just want to park and not i'm not bothered about plugging in is it all integrated that way yeah it is so if you if you open up our app there's a toggle in the top right of the screen that allows you to switch on and off the ev listings so if you want to find a specific ev space that basically is a filter to say look these are the only these are ev spaces that you can park and charge Otherwise, you turn that toggle off and you see everything. The way that our our payment gateway and our booking interface works is that if you do book an EV location, you pay for the parking up front and you pay for the charging after when the session is over. And all of that's done through one seamless interface. Which brings us very nicely onto the whole topic of pricing. How is the pricing worked out? What's the basis on that? Clearly, in the market, there there are um, A, the cost of living crisis, but B, of course, the energy crisis in terms of pricing as well. What we do is we make sure that the host is kept whole in terms of their energy price, and as a result, we have a we have an algorithm which delivers a you know a roughly forty p per kilowatt hour price to the customer. And what that does is that accounts for most, if not all, tariffs today, and we review that pretty regularly. Because we don't talk to every single charger that's on someone's driveway, we charge you on a what's called a dumb basis, so basically by the hour. And so what that means is that the driver is paying a bit of a premium to make sure that they have this guaranteed charge and the host is always kept whole in terms of their energy price. Let me just work that through. So if somebody comes and parks for 10 hours on my driveway, you're going to work out that if they're plugged in, they will be pulling, for example, seven kilowatts per hour. So you'll take the 40 pence a kilowatt hour multiplied by seven, and that's the price they're going to pay for the hour uh, for the charging. Is that how that works? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a little bit more nuance to it. So we're so on the but but fundamentally, yes. So uh, so we have we have the ability to list multiple types of charger. So depending on the power, so you could list a three pin and call that a you know an EV charging space uh, on our on our network. We have a proprietary algorithm which takes that as you say that that kilowatt draw and the price and the number of hours you park with a series of caps and mechanisms that allow for it to be smart enough. So that you're not, you know, charging a. If you're parked for 20 hours, you're not going to pay for 20 hours worth of energy, for example. So, if I or any of my listeners wanted to list their charger slash parking space, how how do they go about doing that? 
Great. So you can go to the app or to the website. And what you do is you go through what we call our onboarding journey. And that essentially allows you to put in the demographics of the space that you have. So that's the physical location. That's the address, of course. That's taking a few pictures of the driveway, saying how, how many cars can fit or how large the car that can fit on that driveway is. If you have a charger or not, where that's located, what grade of device it is, as in power draw, et cetera, et cetera. It's sort of a three to five minute process through a, through a really clean interface on our, on our web or on our app. And of course, the flip side to that is I'm somebody with a new electric vehicle, but I don't have a home charger. How would I go about sort of setting myself up or using the app to find somewhere to park and or charge? Essentially, you do that in reverse, which is you you register for our app and then you have access to see all of the spaces in our network, if that's EV charging spaces or not. And you engage with our booking interface in order to reserve a spot. So as I say, toggle the EV switch on and find EV spaces toggle it off and see everything. What I should also say is going back to your question about what a host would do, you also are able to set your own prices for parking. And so for the, you know, for the eagle-eyed hosts who are very au fait with the energy ecosystem and are worried about things like price of energy, et cetera, et cetera, you have the opportunity to go in and make sure that you are comfortable with the price that is being charged for, you know, for your parking space. And that's how it works. Let's move on and talk a little bit about the b2b offering fleet charge yeah you've sort of covered it briefly take me through again at the high level the concept behind fleet charge yeah so what we're finding is and and again you may have this experience and i welcome you or the the insights you have fleets that we're dealing with or engaging with as they're making choices to transition to evs are dealing with not only the fact that they have to buy a new car and engage with a new ecosystem but also we're decentralizing the concept of hubs so we're kind of getting rid of the, the hub and spoke model to some degree for a lot of light duty commercial vehicles. As a result, a lot of their drivers are taking their vehicles home. And when we look at those demographics, 75% of the fleets of, of fleet drivers don't have their own driveway. And as a result, they have to depend on public charging ecosystem in order to keep their vehicles topped up or charged to go about their day. So when we engage with fleets, we receive a postcode of the fleet driver who doesn't have a driveway. We draw a polygon on a map to see what's a 15-minute walk from their location, and we source a driveway within 15 minutes of their house. We electrify that space with a 7-kilowatt charger, and we allocate that to a driver or multiple drivers in that same area. And so what that allows them is a guaranteed charge whenever they need it associated with their shift pattern and their consumption pattern. Quite a few things come out of that. Let me go back and... and not necessarily challenge, but clarify. The, the generally accepted statistic is that 72% of people, now let me get this right, 72% of people with a vehicle do have off-street parking. And you've just come out and said 75% of fleet drivers don't have home charging. Can you reconcile those two uh, figures for me, please? Of course, yeah. So we, we talk about this a lot when we talk in the public forum uh, if you look at the general population, again, I may have different numbers than you, you know, between 40 and 50% is the number I'm hearing of people who have, who, who don't have access to a public uh, a driveway on their own house. That number goes up because if people live in an apartment block or they live in a certain type of house where even if they have a driveway, they couldn't install a charger. So that's how I get to the general population number of 50% don't have the access to put in a, a charger in their driveway. 
The difference is, and you asked me to reconcile that to, to the 75% number I'm quoting, when we look at the demographics of the fleets that we're engaging with, it just so happens that the fleet drivers tend to not have driveways of their own. So, dr- so drivers who are bringing their vehicles home tend to be parking those fleet vehicles on the street. And when we look at the specific number of fleets we've engaged with, the stats come out and the data shows it's 75%. Okay. So the implication of that is that 75% of the people who work in sort of fleet businesses that have fleets. So I think, you know, we're talking delivery drivers, uh, postmen, that sort of thing. Could be delivery drivers, could be mobility fleets, could be anything in the ecosystem. Yep. Okay. So 75% of the drivers who work in that particular area live in. Uh, some of these areas that don't have the places to park their own car. So they may be the people living in the apartments, the flats, the high rise, that sort of thing. That's, that's kind of the implication for what you're saying. Yeah. It is. And I think it could be, again, we, you know, we, we get the output metric, which is can you install a charger or can't you? We don't get the, all of the details around where they're living and why that might be the case. But remember, it would be a combination of, They may live in a situation or in a building or an apartment or even a house, like a terraced house, for example, that doesn't have a private driveway. They would need to park on the street. They may also live in a building that has private parking, but they're unable to install a charger. And that could be because it's in a shared space. It could be that it's council parking that's been allocated to them. A number of different reasons why that number spikes up. If we look at this focus on fleets, now obviously fleets have certain key requirements over and above private individuals, so guaranteed availability, centralized payments, or at least centralized reporting. Uh, Talk to me about how you deal with those requirements. With the fleet charge offering, we connect to the the device on the driver's location, and we're able to measure the amount of energy that is consumed from, from, from each kilowatt that is pulled from the car on the driveway. That allows us to centralize billing per driver and make sure that the fleet themselves see the consumption information and see all of the charging information that they have. So that actually leads to you know more interesting insights around driver behavior and charging behavior, which we can go into to later. But ultimately, what our application and our product delivers is a centralized ecosystem to track, monitor, and bill for all of the charging usage for the fleet on the product. Now, with fleets, you're guaranteeing that the driver starts every day fully charged, no time wasted during the working day. Um, now, that's all well and good when everything's working well. But one of the sort of uh, challenges that I put to Joel when I had the discussion with him is um, assuming my driveway is one way you've put uh, a charger in for fleet usage. If I'm doing consultancy work five days a week for a specific period of time, like one week, it might involve lots of distance driving. And I may not be able to let the fleet driver use my charger that week because I need to be fully charged up for the following day. So how how can the system work around that? Yeah, uh, I, I really like the question because, again, I think it speaks to the differences or the subtle differences between our model and what CoCharger is doing. Because we are sourcing an individual location for these fleet drivers, we are contracting with the hosts to guarantee the availability of that space. That's the fundamental proposition. So typically, actually, we are engaging with households who don't have an EV and they won't need to use the charger. If we did engage with a household who does have an EV and does need to use the charger, they are guaranteeing access to that space with priority for the driver. And that's in a contract. And we, you know, the way we manage that is we incentivize them with a payment to basically rent or lease their space. And as a result, we can guarantee that availability to the driver. 
And what is the financial incentive for for the person who, in whose driveway you are putting the the charger? It tends to vary a little bit by location. We we benchmark it generally speaking um, for the area based on our parking and demographic data. So we have quite a lot of data on this. But if I were to put a finger in the air and give you kind of the general proposition, what we offer into the market is a thousand pounds a year to rent the space. A thousand pounds, if you don't have other supplemental income, is typically again don't take this as tax advice, but tax free. And so that allows the driver to put money back in their pocket um, in this cost of living crisis for the use of their space. On top of that, we reimburse the energy consumption. Okay, that makes sense. Are we assuming that fleet users need a maximum charge every night for the following day? Great question. What we are finding from the data from the fleets that we're engaging with is that the answer is no. It depends on the fleet. So some fleets like mobility fleets or private hire drivers. So let's take Addison Lee for this example. They may have very large mileage or distances that they travel every day. It may be very critical for them to have a full battery every day. So they would do a full charge. If you look at operational vans like a Centrica van or you know BT Openreach or this kind of thing, depending on where they are in the country, they may take and have a certain geographical area which they cover which may mean that they may be doing only 50, 60, 80 miles a day, and they may not need to charge every day. So we are learning about that with the fleets. And again, the fleets are adapting to this in the, in the deployment of the vehicles because of the range limitations on vans today. And so they're learning and we're learning. But the, to sort of summarize, it's a mix. It depends on the type of fleet. Now, it's interesting you mentioned taxi companies there because I do some consultancy work with a local firm, a local taxi company, and they, they've they're on the process or in the process of going electric. It's sort of two companies that are merging together. They have, I believe, six electric in the fleet and only one of those drivers has home charging. So obviously they're looking for a solution where all the drivers can charge and have the exact figure reimbursed to whoever owns the charger and, and you know, the billing comes back to the company so they can keep a track of uh, how much they, their drivers are using. Now, at the moment, he's been quoted ridiculous amounts per car per day by third-party management companies. Is that uh, is, is the, the fleet charge solution something that could definitely help in that case? Fleet charge as a product in terms of the cost is comparable to public charging. That's the, that's the plan and that's what we are advertising. And the reason for that is we are able to confer close to home energy prices for the, for the driver when they charge on someone's driveway, but they do have to pay a subscription or a fee for the for using the space right so because there's the parking involved as well so in principle what we would like to do is provide an ecosystem where a driver can use a proxy home device at as close to public charging prices as possible plus or minus a premium for the guarantee that's the plan in reality it's a bit more challenging than this because we have to source the locations and it may be that we can't source for everybody. So that's something that we evaluate. So our, our business at Just Park, we have this superpower or this process to allocate and find spaces across the country, be it parking or charging. And so no matter what would happen, if we were consulting or we were doing this for the taxi company that you mentioned, we would take the postcodes of the, of the drivers and we would put them into our engine to assess if we can source. And we would have to tell you, yes, we can, or no, we can't before we proceed. There's another question that's just jumped out. You've, you've mentioned a couple of times putting the postcode in, getting the polygon, finding out places where you could put these. Have you got a database somewhere of 
potential places where you can put charges in for use in fleet charge? We're building it, candidly. We don't have you know every driveway in the country um, and an assessment of that ready. Um, that's not a sustainable sort of practice for our business to do that upfront. But as we're engaging with fleets, we perform an assessment in the areas that they that the demand is, and through that we are building a database and a repository of these are good locations and these aren't, or rather, I shouldn't say good and aren't; these are good and less good. You know, we find it challenging to to, to put a post in the ground, you know, for extremely rural locations where there, you know, there within fifteen minute walk there aren't any buildings at all. Um, but we also find it challenging, of course, to do that in Zone One London because the parking spaces and the driveways aren't available. So we have we have a pretty good sense and handle of how we would score a location, and that enables us to pretty quickly assess, given the postcode, is this doable You know, on a scale of 1 to 10. And what sort of uh, reception are you getting from people when you go to them and say, hi, I'd like to put a charger in your, in your house, in your driveway, but it's not for you, it's for somebody that you don't know to come here and park every night? I'm smiling and I'm chuckling as you ask me the question. It's mixed. You know, I think we, again, we're learning as a business how to best approach and, and source these locations. Ultimately, the concept of longer term parking rather than charging isn't totally novel and isn't brand new. And that tends to be the approach that we take. We're just now adding a device onto the driveway. Adding a device, of course, as you know, installing a domestic device is pretty challenging. It's, it's not all standard installations. Everyone's house is different. The building standards and the codes depending on the, the you know the types of buildings that are out there um, in the UK market are different. And so that's something that we need to assess. And so even if we get someone to say yes, we still have to go through a vetting and a survey process to get a device installed, which may mean it doesn't work. So um, so yeah, so it's challenging at, at every step. Um, but to your original question, you know, what's the reception like? It's mixed, but we do have many contracted spaces and people who are engaged and interested with us, which is which is successful. Cool. What's your business model? How are you making money out of this? We provide this service to the fleets with a set of, of, let's say, operational and fixed costs. And we recover that cost through the subscription price that we would, that we would provide to the fleets. So essentially, the guarantee that they, are, that they are commanding through our service is how we make our money. You know, we, we install the chargers ourselves, so we bear that capital burden, but we also source some locations that have chargers uh, in, in there already. And so as a result, we have a portfolio of types of spaces that we manage, which, which allow for a variety of different costs. And so across this portfolio, we look to re- recoup those costs through the generation of that service, if that makes sense. Okay. All right. That's fine. So my last question in terms of uh, this particular part is, what keeps you awake at night from a business point of view? For, for Just Park or from the ecosystem? Well, whichever, whichever makes you wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night, either, either one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, the, the, the big challenge that we face as a business in getting this product out into the market, aside from the economic headwinds you know, that everyone's experiencing, as well as the headwinds around vehicle supply right, um, for fleets, is that we tend to find that fleets are making choices surrounding what's easiest to go first. And what do I mean by that? I mean drivers with driveways, you know, the kind of the 25%. You know, in your example with the, with the taxi company, who are they going to give the vehicle, the EV to first, to the gentleman or the lady who can install the charger at their own house? And they're going to experiment and learn with that first. 
and that's noble and that's and that's easier to do and it's frankly the right choice given what's going on in the market our business model addresses the you know the the 75 percent of the population which are more challenging and candidly there is there is a myriad of solutions in the market for which if i were that fleet business i would be waiting to see what happens and how things land or depending on the government to install more uh, rapid chargers etc cetera, etc cetera, to solve that problem um so what keeps me up at night is that i fundamentally don't believe and this isn't a negative thing this is just a reality of the ecosystem that there will be a single silver bullet solution that will emerge over x period that will allow everyone to meet their transition targets businesses need to be making decisions now to experiment and test and build this bingo card of solutions that provides for their entire fleet and what as i say what keeps me up at night is that those choices are hard to make in the face of historic diesel opex and total cost of ownership of vehicles to vehicle supply being challenged to hoping that the ecosystem provides from a rapid charging perspective means that everyone we talk to says wow this sounds really amazing but we probably don't need it now or we'll look at it later if you see what i mean oh yeah 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 i think um there does tend to be some sort of rationalization in the marketplace where people as you say they're looking for the one silver bullet that will solve everything and it's it's just not going to happen and it's not going to happen in any aspect of this, I mean, if, if you look out at uh, renewable energy, renewable energy by itself is not going to solve uh, the needs for wind. Well, wind and solar is not the solution. It's wind and solar and tidal and uh, hydro and battery storage and potentially converted to hydrogen for storage, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, you know, you look at a lot of mainstream media and they go, oh, yeah, well, what do you do when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine? And it's just not that one solution. And it's, you know, the longer I stay in this uh, particular environment and look at what's coming up and, and what the problems are and what the solutions are, it's going to be a wide range. And I think that's what you're up against at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. And I, you know, I also smile when listening to that because the, what, I, what I've said often in, you know, in, the, in the public forum is what is going to be the most sticky for those at the, you know, at the coalface or the bleeding edge of, of the transition? It's the, it's the convergence of technologies or solutions that fit together that really work. So a payment ecosystem that really works, a roaming network that really works for, um, for longer, you know, for longer distance travel for EVs, a base solution or a proxy driveway solution. And all of these things that link together in a seamless manner are going to, are going to be what turns the tide for transition. It's not, as you say, a silver bullet. It's not the one solution. And what I what really inspires me about this sector is that whilst there's natural competition, everyone is working toward that same output solution. And so I have a lot of hope or optimism toward this convergence and and hopefully just park and the fleet charge ecosystem is is one of those. And I think what it's worth remembering, and one of the things I've found in the, the four years to this, the solution doesn't have to be perfect if you're talking to early adopters or some of the first wave. I mean, you know, you look at some of the charging problems that people have had 18 months, two years ago when the infrastructure wasn't quite as good as it is now. But as you start to get to the tipping point where more and more people are becoming um, interested or, or have the the need for the products that you're offering, the solution has to be far, far more robust um, and easier to use than maybe it would have been if they were one of the early adopters. So there's always that to to bear in mind as well. The other anecdote I have 
on this one is if you you know if you fast forward 30 50 years into the future and you you know you gave somebody a diesel vehicle they would be thinking to themselves why can't i fuel this at home <laughs> and so you know that you know of course that gives me confidence uh for the you know for community charging and this proxy driver ecosystem but that's also the perspective that we need to be thinking about when we experiment and test and build these solutions you know what what is what is going to work in a decentralized ecosystem in an ecosystem that has more flexible energy networks, has more flexible energy supply, but also more sharing economy, et cetera, et cetera. And it's those solutions, as I say, which speak to the convergence and that are going to be the stickiest. Many thanks to Mike for his time. We did get a little philosophical at the end there, but I think it was a good conversation. Uh, all the links for Just Park are in the show notes. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. Everyone would like a longer range in their electric cars, and one way of doing this is obviously by putting a bigger battery in. But the other way is by increasing the density of the battery itself. A battery startup called ONE1, or Our Next Energy, is looking for a solution that's sort of halfway between those two. They've done analysis to indicate that for a lot of people, most of their driving is within the range of their car. But on the odd time they want to go further, they'd like the battery to be able to handle that. So they're developing a battery that has two different chemistries within it. One chemistry, LFP, will deal with the standard journey the car does within the usual range of the battery. The other, high manganese cathode and lithium anode, can be used as a range extender battery, which boosts the range quite considerably. In tests, they've managed 600 miles on a battery the size of one that usually does around 200 miles. The issue with the new chemistry is that it doesn't have the cycle capacity of lithium-ion. Instead of being able to charge and discharge thousands of times like a lithium battery, the range extender can only cycle in the hundreds of times. Still, if you're only wanting the longer range from time to time, this might be a solution to check out. The technology will go through more research next year and then reach a point where car companies can sign production contracts. The batteries could be on the roads by 2026 or 2027. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging or participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features, such as using ZapMap in-car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingTV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings, that's ko-fi.com slash evmusings, and you can do just that. It takes Apple Pay too. I have a couple of ebooks out there if you want to read something on your Kindle. So, you've got Electric, is available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. So, you've got Renewable. Is also available on Amazon for the same 99 pence and it covers installing solar panels, a storage battery and a heat pump. Why not check them both out? Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. 
It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engine. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingZV with the words, you can pay for parking and for charging. Hashtag, if you know, you know, nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder, Simon. You know, his latest initiative is a startup dedicated to getting people into the travel business. It's branded right the way through, talking about travel all the way from the first interaction right through to leaving the company. So you can go to the app or to the website, and what you do is you go through what we call our onboarding journey. Thanks for listening. Bye.